Thank you and good morning. It's certainly a privilege for me to be here this morning, uh, to be with Pastor Travis and Rachel and this wonderful staff. I really don't know how much you know about India, but India is now the largest democracy in the world with over one billion people. Soon will be larger than China. India has improved tremendously because of technology, but it still is a very complex country because of the caste system. Now you say, what is a caste? A child's destiny is determined before they're even born. I remember when we first went to Calcutta and opened our school, they said, you cannot educate a low-caste child. They don't have the ability, mental ability to learn. But aren't you glad this morning that God is no respecter of persons? I walk in to our schools, see teachers, our hospital, nurses, doctors, pastors, from the slums of Calcutta. And what God has done in these lives, the investment in these children's lives has been tremendous. What to tell you about Calcutta this morning? Nine miles long and four miles wide with 22 million people. Many visitors that come to see us say, wall to wall people, and it's certainly true. But there's one scripture, and I think it's a great missionary scripture, found in Proverbs. Withhold not good from them who deserve it, when it is in the power of your hand to do it. Many people think it's in the missionary's hand, but I want you to know this morning that nothing you saw on the screen today would have been possible if churches were not like yours and wonderful pastors, pastors that have given and given sacrificially that we might have what we have today. When I go to Calcutta and look at the buildings and realize how many churches in five states now that we have evangelized surrounding Calcutta. The screen said this morning 700 churches, but the last count was over 1,000 churches in these five areas. And it was impossible, impossible. But aren't you glad this morning that nothing is impossible with God? In fact, impossible is one of God's favorite words. Well, we were not supposed to be in Calcutta. Mark had been in the Orient for six months of evangelism sent by our missions department and had been home about 15 months and we were evangelizing when we received a, a letter from our missions department asking us to go to Calcutta first. But all over India, crusades were planned for us for one year. Here we were in New York. Now in those days, you took the boat. 
you know, there was first class, second class, and missionary class. And we were in the hold of the ship. But the Sunday before we boarded that boat, Mark preached in Glad Tidings in downtown New York. And I'll never forget that Sunday because the pastor's wife was asked to close in prayer. She called me to the platform. She put her hands on both our shoulders and prayed a very strange prayer. She prayed, God, make this couple a blessing for in to India for years to come. And she drug out the years. Going home, I said to Mark, what does she mean? <laughs> years to come. We're only going for one year, aren't we? But God had different plans for our lives that we knew nothing about. We started in a tent. I'll never forget, as I said on the screen this morning, uh, when we got off that boat, I said to Mark, when I looked at the congested, poverty-stricken city, I said, what can a young couple in their 20s do in this city? But as he said, we can't, but God can. We started in a tent night after night, but God started to move. We were told it was an impossible city. Evangelists had come and gone and almost given up on the city. In fact, our missions department had almost given up on the city. But God hadn't. But then the monsoon rains came. We couldn't stay in the tent any longer. We found an upstairs hall on the main street of Calcutta. And they laughed at us because they said, hell. Uh, we had a nightclub underneath, and they said, hell downstairs, heaven upstairs. But it was. The crowds became larger. And then it was time to build a church. No church had been built in Calcutta in a hundred years. And the only property available was the property where it held the tent services. Owned by a Muslim family, and they weren't going to sell. But again, prayer changes things. One day, that old Muslim gentleman said to Mark, I don't know why I'm doing this, preacher, but I'm going to sell you the land. Sell you the land. 1959, the first church was built in Calcutta in 100 years, and it was the Assembly of God Church. What a day of rejoicing it was. But when that church was built, we got a shock. We had been asked to go and help the Morocco family to build a church. They were the missionaries in Calcutta. As we were eating breakfast one morning, Dan Morocco walked out and said, well, I have news for you, Mark and Hulda. We're leaving. So Mark said, what do you mean you're leaving? He said, uh, we're packing up. We're leaving, taking our family, going back to the United States. And Mark said, well, what about us? Oh, he said, it's all yours. Mark said, what do you mean it's all mine? We're only here for one year. 
nothing changed his mind. Mark phoned the missions department, and they said, please stay until we can find someone to take your place. 63 years later, they're still trying. <laughs> but you know, God had different plans for our lives that we knew nothing about. But you know, everything got too small. We started school, it got too small. Church got too small. Time to build again. But in that congested city, there was no, absolutely no property. One day, Mark came home very excited, but I want you to know, when God told Mark something, nothing changed his mind. He said, I found the land on the main street of Calcutta. I said, impossible. We've searched the main streets of Calcutta. There's no property available. Oh, yes, he said. Four blocks square. I said, four blocks square? That's a huge piece of land. He said, yes, it's an old cemetery. <laughs> I said, a what? An old cemetery? You think the burial board are going to give you an old cemetery to build a church? He said, no, they won't, but God will. The British had all gone. There were no graves. Kids were using it as a soccer field. An impossible situation. But you know, if you would visit Calcutta today, it's a different story. God gave us that land. And I've just come from Calcutta in June. It's a delight for me to see miracles and miracles and miracles. And one of the greatest miracles, which was Mark's vision, was national leadership. We went to Calcutta. There were more missionaries than nationals. But today it's a different story because of Bible schools that we were able to commence. And now, with eight congregations, every, every state in India has a different language. They come to Calcutta to work. We started with just two or three language groups, small, very small. But you know, today, when I was in Calcutta, I found out that the counting of the eight different languages today, we have 6,000 attending on our main complex in Calcutta every Sunday. That's not counting our branch churches. The impossible city became possible because of God. And, and that's why I tell you this morning, dear ones, believe God for the impossible. But as we started to work in Calcutta, James chapter 2 became alive to us. How can you tell anyone? that God loves them. When they have nothing to eat, no clothes to wear, no comforts of this life. Can you tell a man lying with his family on the main street of Calcutta, God loves you? He'd turn around and tell you, nobody loves us or we would not be here. You heard on the screen that a beggar feed our bellies and then tell us there's a God. A little girl fainted in our first classroom. Mark said to her, 
When did you eat last, darling? She said, I can't remember. Rushed her to a city hospital, two in the bed, two under the bed. Why should they care? Low caste, low caste, no money. He came home with tears in his eyes, said, I will not only feed these children, but I'll educate them and medically treat them. We opened our first school, only to 130 children. <coughs> they called us the slum school. Oh, yes, poor children. You can't educate poor children. But I want you to know that just recently we had our 50th year anniversary <coughs> in one of the biggest auditoriums in Calcutta. And the governor was our chief guest. And when he walked up to a podium just like this, he said these words, the Assembly of God Church School has changed the face of Calcutta. What did he mean? Social justice and moral instruction. And today, we have over 200 schools in the five states where we are ministering. And every time I see these students graduating, I think, where would they be? Calcutta, 87% slums. Yes, it has improved. You go to Calcutta, 10 miles in from the, Cal from the airport, it is modern with its malls and hotels, but that's only part of Calcutta. The slums, the poor, reaching them for Christ. You saw Mother Teresa said, please feed the garbage dump. Thousands of children pulling in the garbage every day for enough food or something they can recycle. How wonderful to reach those families for Jesus Christ. Then we started our feeding program as I heard. Small, but now in our schools and street feeding programs, 25,000 a day. It's a big family to feed. On the book table at the back, I have two books, Woman of Courage and Pathway to the Impossible. Now, if I was going to tell you all the miracles in 63 years, you would not go home for your lunch. But if you read one of those books, you will be inspired to believe that God is still a miracle-working God. But more than that, one book, $15, feeds a child for 15 days. All of the proceeds from that book go to our feeding programs. As I mentioned, I've just come home from Calcutta. And I had to do a video in front of the feeding program. As I watched those children, those families, 
take the only meal they get in the whole day. It never, never stops breaking my heart. Dear God, why? Our country here is so privileged. No hunger. Government looks after the poor. But these precious, precious families. And then our hospital. What a miracle. I never cease when the monsoon rains come to get down to the basement where we now have our nursing school classrooms. Once we were having a terrible monsoon and I couldn't wait to get downstairs and I said, no water? And the nursing students looked at me like I had lost my mind. Water? No. Other basements are full of water. But our basement is still dry. What an arm of evangelism, dear ones. Chaplains going from bed to bed every day, praying with people. I talked to one of our chaplains when I was there. And I said, Joshua, tell me, how many do you lead to the Lord every day? He said, I don't know, Auntie. But I sure lead him in, you know. Sick, hopeless, no money, but a mission hospital. But dear ones, it needs money. Medicines have gone up. Now computerized equipment is needed. Do you know how many, many, many mission hospitals had to close because of finances? But I am sorry. So thankful for our mission hospital. What an arm, what an arm of evangelism. Cleft palates in children. 700 children are born with cleft palates every day in our city of Calcutta and in the surrounding areas of our state of West Bengal. Thank God we are doing so much for these poor children. I walked into a ward one day. There were 30 children waiting for surgery. Mothers, anxious mothers, sitting next to their children. And the difficulty is, if a child is born deformed or cleft palate or blind or whatever, they're cursed because of their religion, generation to generation to generation. And that poor mother can't even go to the well in the villages with the other women. I saw a, woman, and a mother crying beside her child, sat down beside her, put my arm around her. And all she did was Look down, I, I don't think I've ever seen a face so distorted. Teeth going out of her cheeks. I knew she had come from one of our clinics. The newest ministry we have is building clinics in the villages surrounding Calcutta. 
and how we pray so earnestly for more of these clinics. The clinics cost money. I knew she'd come from one of the clinics. But I said to her mother, tomorrow your child will be wheeled into our operating theater and she'd come out beautiful. And she did. Kept her a few more days for teeth work. And then I said, I knew our chaplains had ministered to her. I said, Mother, go back to your village and tell them what Jesus has done for you. Do you know the next Sunday? In those villages, we can't build a church, we can't build a school, but we can build a, a medical clinic. And when we get the favor of the punch out the head of the village, you know what happens? We have church. The doctor's table becomes the pastor's pulpit, and we have church. And you know, I asked the pastor about that precious lady. He said the next Sunday, the church or the clinic was packed, wanting to know what Jesus had done for them. I saw the blind children. Nobody wants a blind child. They're the worst curse. And I said, oh God, give me a blind home. We started with seven children. When I was there, I loved to go there. 200 children, beautiful children. I love to hear them sing, Jesus loves me. They know no one loves them. I took five of those children a couple of years ago to our hospital. I said to the doctor, when you operate on them, will they see? Oh, she said, some better than others. I couldn't wait until the bandages were taken off those precious children's eyes. And immediately they looked up at the lights. In Hindi light is Butty. And all they said was Butty, Butty, Butty. Their favorite song is that beautiful song, I once was blind, but now I see. When they sing it, in the blind school, they don't see. But these children, that day, were able to see for the first time. And I held, we held hands with the, the doctor and sang that beautiful song. I once was blind, but now I see. One of our boys that was one of the seven children, our director couldn't wait to tell me. When I came out, I was going to meet him, now married to one of our blind girls who was operated. He's now an evangelist. I said to him, do you have many blind? Oh, Auntie, village after village I go to, I minister to the blind. Dear ones, 
That's what I say. Withhold not good of them who deserve it when it is in the power of your hand to do it. The results of investing in lives of children over the years have been so marvelous. There are seven states in Northeast India that were absolutely unreached. The people in those seven states look more oriental than they do Indian. Mark was invited there to speak at an international conference. Over 20,000 people in that conference with nine interpreters. The first night he spoke, and there was one pastor that was Pentecostal. And he came and said, oh, Brother Montaigne, Brother Montaigne, these people know nothing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Please speak on the baptism of the Holy Spirit tomorrow night. Well, Mark said, I'll have to pray about it. This is an international revival service. But he felt led. The next night, he preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At the end of his message, he wondered if nine interpreters had interpreted correctly what he spoke. And so he prayed. He prayed. And all of a sudden, he starts speaking in other tongues for quite a long time. And then this little pastor came up. Oh, Brother Mateen, Brother Mateen, you spoke in our language. There's one language, tribal language, they all understand is Nogamese. And that night was the starting and commencement of our ministries in those seven states. And today, we have over 500 churches in those seven states, Bible schools and schools. What a miracle of God. But you know, dear ones, we live in a changing world. Sort of a me, myself, and I world. Investments are here today and gone tomorrow. But I want you to know something. And if you invest in the kingdom of God, it pays the best dividends. You know why? Money is the currency of men, but faith is the currency of God. And when you invest in God, I'll tell you many times, especially on television, I'm asked, what was your greatest accomplishment? And I have to think. But usually, I feel investment in lives. Children, no one cared for. Streets of Calcutta, educated now, taking their part in our mission. Let me give you an example. I fly so much, I had something wrong with my ear. So I asked the nurse in Calcutta, in our hospital, 
I want to see a good ENT. Oh, yes, she said, we have a new one, and he's very good. The next morning, she took me down to our outpatients department. Knocked on the door. Dr. Bhattacharya, I want you to be the president of our mission. I'll never forget that day. He got up from his chair and said, Auntie, I don't have to meet you. I met you when I was seven years of age with my little brother five. My father brought us so you would put us in school. The poor called us poor. We were so poor, rags, no shoes. But I see so many children I could not remember. And then he drew my attention. He said, don't you remember, Auntie? I was the president of your junior college when I finished. And then I remember. I said, are you Subash? He said, yes, I am. I said, oh, Subash, tell me, tell me. He said, I finished school. I prayed. Got into medical school on a scholarship. Then I prayed, God, let me go back to that hospital and treat the poor. I said to him, in front of your chamber here, in front of the outpatients, there are many children lined up. Every time do you see a child or treat a child, do you think of yourself? Oh, every day, every day, every day. Investment in a life. Oh, I could go on and on. Hundreds, hundreds. Sit on the platform of our church in Calcutta. Sunday, our senior pastor that you saw on the screen was away speaking at a conference. Our associate pastor came to the pulpit to give the message that morning. I didn't see associate pastor. I saw a 12-year-old boy with his brother, two sisters, standing at the grave not only of their mother but also their father one year apart. When the second parent died, Patrick looked up in my face and he said, we've got no one now. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Put my arms around that precious child and the family. Put the boys in our boys' home. Looked after the girls. What a testimony. I didn't see an associate pastor preaching that morning. I saw a child of 12. Dear God, what if? What if? What if there hadn't been any help for him? What a message he preached after the message and we were back in the office of the church. I put my arms around Patrick. I said, oh, I'm so proud of you. No, Aunt. I've got you to thank. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. You have God and a sponsor. 
endearments. Thousands of sponsors over the years have faithfully supported these children. And today, not only Dr. Bhattacharya, but Patrick and many others. You saw the nursing school. I look at those students. Think how many of them would not be there if it hadn't been our schools and education. What invested a child? I have some sponsorships forms on the back table. Take one home and read it. If God speaks to your heart, especially if your children want a pen pal, pick up a sponsorship. You will never know. I don't think Patrick's sponsor will ever know until she gets to heaven what she's invested in that child. You know, I wondered what the scripture meant, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last, until I read the revised version. You know what it says? Those that are inconspicuous here shall be heroes there. I said, thank you, Lord. Those are the precious sponsors. They will never be known. Your missionary offerings will never, you will never know those you've helped. But I want you to know that every cent. I was in a church one day. An elderly man stopped me in, in the aisle of the church. He said, do you have a few minutes to talk to me? I said, sure. He opened his Bible to one of those old air forms. The younger people won't even remember those old blue air forms that we had to use to mail before the day of technology, of emails and fax and all this. And he opened it up, and I recognized Mark's writing. He said, your husband wrote me this note for a $10 gift, and the blotches on the ink are my tears. I said, oh, brother, your $10 gift meant so much, meant so much. If you invest in the kingdom of God, it does pay the best dividends. I walked into Hallmark store one day to buy a birthday card. Saw a sign on the wall, a slogan. I said, I don't know who you are, Mr. Hallmark, but I'm going to steal it for missions. You know what it said? If you love enough, you give your best. Do you love enough today to give someone a tomorrow? Every time I go back to Calcutta, I see the modern way. In fact, we've started a church in Newtown, Calcutta. It used to be called Rajahat, poor village. Now it's been modernized with call centers and hotels and 
And we've got in on the ground floor. And now we have services there and planning to plant a church every Sunday. I want you to know that doing does not count unless love motivates it. And loving does not count unless doing demonstrates it. You can't love Jesus without doing something about it. Thank you for letting me share our Calcutta Ministries with you. Please pray. So much yet to be accomplished. Although sometimes I feel we've done a lot, but yet there are thousands, thousands, so many villages yet to be raised, to be reached with the gospel. Thank you, and God bless you.